was sleeping. Like <laughs> you were. You yeah. answered the phone very awake sounding. Yeah, it's because I saw it was you, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god!" <clears throat> Hello, Cassie. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I was like, "Oh, she's awake." <laughs> no, like I just saw that I slept through my alarm. Yeah. I looked, I heard... You got here really fast, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, like... I was sleeping. Mm-hmm. This is... I'll reenact. This, yes. Oh, my alarm's going off. Oh, Cassie's calling me. Oh, no, it's 10.31. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ran around, mm-hmm. and then Zeth... I popped back in to turn on Zeth's laptop so I could print out the stories, uh-huh. and then Zeth was like, I'm sorry, this is happening. And I was like, oh, cool. Log on to my email and print these out and then ran back into the bathroom to get ready. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. I was, as the kids would say, caught slipping. Caught slipping. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay, though. I got to make a sandwich before you got here. Danny got a burrito. Oh, Danny had a burrito. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. Oh, it's a beautiful Sunday morning. Not when you're listening to this. It's Wednesday or whatever day, I guess, you choose to listen. Yeah. <laughs> but for us, it is a beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. This is... Should we just spill the beans? This is the second time we have to do these. <laughs> and it won't be the last. It won't be. But we had some technical difficulties. Mm-hmm. And we both sounded like we were in tin cans. You could hear Danny really crisply, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We should, we'll just save it and hold on to it and be like, here's some bonus footage. You can listen to Danny. Yeah. <laughs> talk and have her commentary as we go along. But anyway. We want we want good sounding audio for the listeners. That. So yes. we're re-recording a few episodes. We are. So this is not news to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is, though. That Broad's Got Moxie. This is That Broad's Got Moxie. I'm Cassie. I'm Kiana. Kiana's sleepy tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually fine because you woke you woke me up right at that eight hour mark. Yeah. So I'm like thriving and healthy. <laughs> Beautiful. Mm-hmm. I was a designated driver last night. Good girl. For the listeners. So I was up late. That's right. And just tired. I didn't have that. Dr- <laughs> I didn't have that. The drunkenness like lead me into sleep. Sure, sure. Slumber town. Slumber town. <laughs> USA. So I was up and like still a little restless, and then I fell asleep, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear that. I fell asleep like a baby last night because, well, it was a very busy day <laughs> of watching <laughs> Gentleman Jack on HBO. If you, you haven't went- watched it, go watch it. You went strawberry picking. And we went strawberry picking. We got 25 pounds. I don't know. We got a lot of strawberries. Yeah. (laughs) Whole bunch. So, got to do something with those today. Anyway, so it's the episode 18? 19? Episode 19. So you go first. I do. It is. Yeah. Hello. Okay. All right. Here we go. Tell me who you're... um, I don't remember, actually, who you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I'm doing Sappho of Lesbos today. Oh, that's today. right. Perfect. Oh, yeah. we. It's Pride Month. It's Pride Month. So we're celebrating. Yeah. We're talking about those broads with moxie that are in the um, LGBTQIA plus uh, 
community. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, there's a word for this. <laughs> Before I begin, because I told you about Always Be My Maybe. <gasps> Which we watched last night. You watched it? Oh my God. Brilliant. It's so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you for your service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's such a good movie. It's really And it was good. my first Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. <laughs> and he's hysterical in it. He's just the most so ridiculous. funny. Yeah. But real winner. In in the in the movie, as mm-hmm. you've seen, but as our listeners might oh, have yeah. seen, there's a point where a man goes, Oh, I am a ally of the LGBTQIA community. So um thank you for your service. <laughs> Uh, which is hysterical. It was so funny. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. But tell me all about Sappho. I will tell you my sources first. Perfect. So I got all my information from Ancient History Encyclopedia, the Thought Company entry on Sappho, uh, article called Sappho of Lesbos, Mythic Foremother of Lesbian Women by Rachel Wickstall. In an article called How Gay Was Sappho? Perfect. By Daniel Mendelssohn. <laughs> <laughs> and then also a article called Sappho's Queer Female History by Tess M. Waxman. Hot damn. All yeah. right. There's always a lot when it's a historical one. Oh, yeah. Because if, I mean, as you'll see, very little is actually known about Sappho. Mm-hmm. So there's always conflicting details. And That's right. I like to Cover at least the... kind of look around. Sure, sure. So, as I said, it's very, very little is actually known about Sappho, but it's wild the acclaim that she has in proportion to the actual work and knowledge that we have of her. Mm-hmm. What we do know about her comes from her surviving poems and other ancient figures talking about Sappho, oh, but we okay. don't really have Sappho's voice anywhere in there except for the poems, which we don't have any, like, full ones. Uh-huh. I think we have, like, one. Perfect. Okay. We being modern times. We, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Not at the Broads Got Moxie vault. Nope. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> if you have some, share the wealth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give, give it to two people in a, in a room. <laughs> Who read five, six articles on her. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're basically experts. <laughs> Okay, so what we do know about her, she was born in 1630 BCE on the island of Lesbos in ancient Greek times. It is believed that she was born to an aristocratic family in the capital of the island. Uh, Her mother's name may have been Cleus, and her father's name may have been Scamandermus. Oh yeah, (laughs) Scamandermus. Newt (laughs) Scamandermus. We are re-recording, and I still didn't You've had so many opportunities. <laughs> Scamandermonimus. Something like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, sure. May not even been his name. Could have been John. <laughs> <laughs> she had three brothers. Irrigius, Larchius, and Carixus. How do you pronounce the X in ancient Greek times? I think it's like an X. How do you pronounce X? <laughs> <laughs> what the X? sound shark sus <laughs> that's his name <laughs> okay Look, i don't speak greek i it's when i was greek to me <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> 
I've always been unsure how to pronounce the X in words mm-hmm. since I watched Aquila and the Bee growing up. Uh-huh. Because the word xanthosis. Starts with an X. Starts with an X. So does Zochil, which is Mexican. Yeah. And good chips. Yeah. I went to school <laughs> with a girl named Zochil. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. So how do I pronounce an X? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. English is stupid. Tell us. Uh, I can't. No. Listeners. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if you know how to say the X in Greek or any other language, please tell us. So because her family was aristocratic, Sappho and her family were exiled from Lesbos to Sicily around 600 BC and had to live in Sicily because there were conflicts between political elites at, like, oh. every point in Greek history. Yep. Like, rich people were just fighting. <laughs> mm-hmm. They were later allowed to return, and so she continued to live her life there. Gotcha. Uh, Because of her wealth, she was allowed to pursue her interests in music and poetry. Mm -hmm. Her poems comment on the idea of being completely free in one's feelings and desires in a relationship. And she explored the liberation and sensuality of choosing to love who you truly desire. Mm -hmm. Which leads us to what she is most well known for. Her sexual attraction and love of other women. Whoop whoop. Hello. <laughs> hey girl, hey. <laughs> so homosexuality was common in ancient Greek times. Mm-hmm. And it's well documented. Yeah. And nobody believes me. It's Look a fucking it up. it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> but it's mostly well documented among males mm-hmm. and like stories, poetry, music, and like imagery mm-hmm. on like, I don't know, vases. Vases, yeah. <laughs> but Sappho is one of the few figures that actually wrote about love between women in mm-hmm. the ancient world. This work is so influential that the words sapphic, uh-huh. which means relating to lesbians or lesbianism, and lesbian are derived from her, uh-huh. like her name, mm-hmm. Sapphic Sappho. You get it. And also the word lesbian is related to lesbo the island that she's from that's right oh i was i have an anecdote yes so when i used to work at the aveda institute here in portland i was there was a very nice gentleman who came in and i was showing him some you know products or whatever and at one point he goes are you um are you maybe a a sapphic sister (laughs) i was like holy shit (laughs) I sure am. Also, I'm going to use that all the time now. <laughs> Sapphic sister. That's how you hit on Danny. <laughs> it is. Actually, I gave her a piece of gum and then she almost spit it on my foot accidentally. Oh. She's real whiskey drunk, but um. that's another story. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, carry on. So Sappho's work is remar- is also remarkable because of her disregard for the common writing styles at the time. Oh. So she wrote storytelling poems, which was what was common. Uh-huh. Think like Iliad and Odyssey. Yes. Like they, you tell a tale. Yep. But she often wrote poems that were autobiographical and used the first person singular pronouns. And it was, at the time, like we see it all the time now. Yeah, yeah. But at the time it was unheard of. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's wild. I didn't know that either. Yeah. You learn something new every day, don't you? <laughs> you do. And in this case, you hear it twice and forget it the first yeah. time. So and then, then you, you le- relearn it. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Life is give and take. <laughs> <laughs> she had a close connection with a girl school on Lesbos. 
And some believe that she actually ran the school, mm. but it might have also just been, like, a friend who ran the school, and oh, okay. she would come she in sometimes. close encounters with it. Yeah, and she'd... And the girls at the school mm-hmm. would sing and dance her poetry and, like, songs. Oh, okay. On an instrument called the lyre. The lyre? The lyre. 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 I'm good at this, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, like a harp, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like a... Bring, bring. Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> Also something you may have forgotten. Okay. She invented that. That's She's, right. You told me that. I yeah. forgot it. Now we're learning <laughs> it again. I didn't know that either about her creating yeah. that. Had no idea. Yeah. God. She's a woman of many, many talents. Mostly just poetry. Mostly just poetry, but also <laughs> music. <laughs> Look. But that's it's a good talent to have. <laughs> it is a good talent. Speaking of her talents. Tell me. She wrote well over 10,000 lines of poetry. Oh, wow. Of which only 650 lines are known today. Oh. Yeah. So all of the, the rest of them are just... Gone. Gone to history? Rip. Yeah. Well, that's some real bullshit. Yeah. I think recently they might... Have, well, I think recently... When I was reading the articles, mm-hmm. which I didn't know how, I didn't check how all the articles were, uh-huh. but they had just discovered a few more because oh. the reason why they have so many like fragmented lines is uh-huh. because when they dig up like a body or a grave site, yeah, yeah. people were buried with things mm-hmm. and a lot of lines of poetry oh. that they then are like, oh, this was Sappho. And then, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. History, man. It's cool shit. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> when you're buried, Put it in your will that you want to be buried with, like, historical things. And then we'll dig you up. And then we'll, the future will dig you up. That's right. <laughs> and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm getting buried with my iPhone. That's... Just, I'm just kidding. I'm not getting buried. Getting that would buried. be... But that would be, a, like, a find, though. It would be. I'd be like, what is this brick? What? No, they'd be like, what is this primitive technology? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't have a chip in their brain? <laughs> So, back to Sappho. Scholars believe that she was so acclaimed at the time Mm -hmm. because she was able to speak to many people by combining abstract feelings like love to (laughs) logical... abstract feelings. Yeah. (laughs) To logical things Mm -hmm. like war. (laughs) Ah, yes. Uh. (laughs) Or physical ailments. Okay. So, like, I have heartache and stuff. Yeah, yeah. In her time, so the reason why we know she was acclaimed, because in her time she had statues raised in her honor, and she also had coins minted with her face on them. What? Really? Yeah. And we still have the coins. Can we Google them? Yeah. Okay, we'll put them on Insta. Yeah. Okay, that sounds fun. What if I lied? (laughs) (laughs) If you lied, it would be a bummer. (laughs) I'll Photoshop them. On the penny, just instead of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> Throw Sappho. It'll just say, in God we trust, and it'll be a photo of Sappho. <gasps> oh my god. Man, I've just been caught slipping again. <laughs> that was my phone, if you if you could hear it. I'm very sorry. So unfortunate. I just had to, well, I just had to tell my cousin to calm down. Oh. By just not answering the phone. Um... <laughs> Okay. Sorry for that interruption. (laughs) She was the best poet at the time and worthy of admiration. 
However, after her death and as the culture around homosexuality changed, her life story uh, was manipulated by historians. Mm-hmm. As it, as surprise, it has, surprise. yeah, <laughs> as it happens for women and for queer people, mm-hmm. and it's just sort of yeah, erasure is a, is a real thing. Yeah, academic erasure. Acad- oh, good word. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Wow. <laughs> There was an attempt to erase her work from history, which is why we have so little of it. Mm. And that's why the the works that were safe were in people's graves. Oh, okay. Because they're not going to desecrate a grave. They're just yeah. going to desecrate somebody's life work and yeah, history. Sure. And there was also an attempt to force a heterosexual narrative on her legacy. Hmm. Sounds accurate. So there are some poems of hers that addressed an attraction to men. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of used as like a C- she, oh, yeah. She wasn't sure. gay. But not all of her work was autobiographical, so uh-huh. it's possible that, like, that wasn't even from her gotcha. voice. Gotcha, And also, even if she was attracted to men, it doesn't take away the fact that she was also attracted to women in many of... Exactly. In, I'm married to a woman, but Jason Momoa... Mm. Mm. Ah. Mm. Mm. Tasty. <laughs> Good also, guy. <laughs> Keanu Reeves in the fucking movie last night. I was like, oh, how you doing, Keanu? Have you seen recently? He's He did like an interview and he's like, yes, I'm very lonely. No. <laughs> so he's, oh. he's looking for friends. <laughs> I would absolutely be a Keanu Reeves friend. I would be... I. Listen, I want to meet Keanu Reeves just so I can say, hello, I was named after you. I think that's our goal. It would be very... Let's put it out there in the universe. We're going to meet Keanu Reeves. I've put it I've put it out in the universe so much, <laughs> I'm surprised that me and him aren't neighbors. <laughs> I've told everybody I want to meet Keanu Reeves. But then I also... Keanu, are you listening? Yeah. I want to meet you. Yeah. I was named after you. My dad liked Point Break. I've never seen Point Break, but I have Good seen movie. Call Me Maybe. Wait, no. Not Call Me Maybe. <laughs> it's a song. <laughs> Always <laughs> Be Your Maybe. Oh, boy. We have gone off the fucking rails on this crazy train. All right. <clears throat> Did you just quote that? <laughs> Check me a minute. Okay, so whether she had relations with men doesn't take away her queer identity or the fact that she offered a rare view into the lives of queer women in ancient Greece. That's right. So let's stop. Preach. Well, it was the church, mostly. (laughs) Do not preach. (laughs) That being said, the historians often male, Mm -hmm. of the day didn't even entertain the idea idea that she was bi. No. They insisted that she was heterosexual. heterosexual. They insisted that she was married. And they insisted that she had a daughter. While the daughter figure in her life is widely acknowledged, it could have just been like a figure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like a student. Mm -hmm. Or a servant. Mm -hmm. Or a young lover. Okay. Furthermore, her husband probably also didn't exist, and this is why. Tell me. His name was recorded. Uh-huh. Kirklex of Andros. However, this roughly translates to Dick Alcock from the Isle of Man, <laughs> or Dick from the Town of Manhood. 
<laughs> so the name is That's seen the as the title of this episode, Dick from the Town of Manhood. <laughs> I like Dick Alcock. Dick Alcock. From Ma- the Isle of Man. Ah, oh, shit. I can't. Um, and not only was this name, like, a joke. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody's like, ah, yes. Uh-huh. Many people in Greece were named Dick Alcock from the oh, Isle of Man. God. His presence in her life uh-huh. was introduced 200 years later. Like, oh. after her death. How, how, how convenient. So, like, she didn't no. even, like, come on. Also, um, she would not be friends with a man named Dick Alcock. <laughs> okay, but hold on. I would be friends with a man named Dick Alcock. <laughs> That'd be so funny. <laughs> Dink Nixon. Dink. <laughs> Throwing it back. Uh, That's always. episode one. It was. Dink Nixon. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, her introduced 200 years after her death. Speaking of her death... It is also completely unknown when and how she died. So a few hundred years after her death, historians began to suggest that she completed suicide by jumping off a cliff because of an unrequited love towards a fairy man. Hmm. Which is just another, like, she was so straight. She would die. Yeah. Literally throw herself off a cliff for a guy who works on a boat. Yeah. And she was... A wealthy poet at the and like she I, had statues and I think she's but like got higher standards. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, not that working on a boat is not perfectly acceptable, but <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like I'm upsetting Cassie, people. <laughs> you have to you have to say things and die on that hill. I like know. You I can't. do, I really do. <laughs> you sometimes you backtrack and it's just like, do I trust anything that comes? <laughs> Uh, I'm a fucking Scorpio. I need to stand firm in this shit. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> right. If you are a fairy man, Cassie doesn't like I you. I don't like you. <laughs> and that's the hill she's gonna <laughs> die on. <laughs> oh, speaking of a fairy man, uh, I love that we're calling them fairy men. <laughs> Instead of like a fairy man. There's a fairy man in uh, Scotland who called me toots. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I was like, pardon? <laughs> Pardon, scum of the earth? (laughs) He was full of piss and vinegar, and he was very funny. But he did call me toots. Yeah, they have a lot of those, like, terms of endearment for women. I don't, I didn't, I wasn't called anything except, like, sweetheart. Yeah. (laughs) Several times. Love. Toots. Yeah. Love. You don't know me. It was... Anyway, we are so (laughs) off topic. Please continue. Um, She did not throw herself off a fucking cliff for a ferryman. Yes. This is regarded as unhistorical by modern scholars. Uh So, like, that story was pushed for a long period of time, but nowadays everybody's like, uh, probably not. Yeah. So don't think that's how she died. Or else I'm going to be mad at you. (laughs) That's what I wrote down. (laughs) The most frustrating part about her story is that this fight about whether she was queer or straight has over- overshadowed the importance of her work and her influence on poetry. Mm-hmm. So, like, we were like, we knew who Sappho was, yes, but we didn't know about her cha- transforming the way poetry was mm-hmm. in Greek times, or that she invented the lyre or the lyre, whatever it is. <laughs> and because of this, I'm going to end my story with a poem yes, of hers. Please do. 
And I don't think this is a full poem. Okay. I believe this is just the, like, bits, a bits a bit of pieces. Of it. Mm-hmm. So this is called To an Army Wife in Sidirs. Sidirs. I didn't look this up. <laughs> Do the best you can. Um, and this is a poem by Sappho translated by a woman named Mary Bernard. To an army wife in Sidirs, some say a cavalry corps, some infantry, some infantry, some again, will maintain that the swift oars of our fleet are the finest sight on dark earth. But I say that whatever one loves is. This is easily proved. Did not Helen, she who had scanned, the flower of the world's manhood, choose as first among men one who laid Troy's honor in ruin, warped to his will, forgetting. Love due to her own blood, her own child, she wandered far with him. So, Anactoria, although you, being far away, forget us, the dear sound of your footstep and light glancing in your eyes, would move me more than glitter of Lydian horse or armored tread of mainland infantry. That was beautiful. Yeah. And that was also an example of her being like, love, uh, illogical, abstract, mm-hmm. war. We get it. We get it. Sure. Yeah. Also, you read poetry very well. Slam poetry, historic <laughs> poetry. I'm into it. <laughs> I should start a podcast. You- <laughs> <laughs> Me reading poetry, but then not knowing how to pronounce certain words. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. All right. So that was Sappho. That was Sappho. Well, uh, that was lovely. Thank you. I didn't know that about Sappho. I knew a little bit about Sappho, but I like it. Yeah. Oh, oh, I also wanted, I had a thing on, I saw an Instagram after I wrote this. Oh, uh uh-huh. But bisexual women and lesbians, this is just a fun fact, bisexual okay. women and lesbians used to give violets to the women they were wooing, symbolizing their sapphic desire. In a poem, Sappho described herself and a lover wearing garlands of violets, and mm-hmm. the giving of violets was popular from the 1910s to the 1950s. Oh. And that's another, like, that's where she's, like, what was that article? The mythic foremother of, oh, uh-huh. like, every, a lot of symbolism Mm -hmm. traces back to her. I love it. We have a violet. It's called Sergeant Pepper. (laughs) (laughs) That's really, oh, that's really lovely. Yeah, I like that. All right. My turn. This week, I am talking about Miss Marsha P. Johnson. Oh, yeah. So, Marsha P. Johnson was a gay liberation activist. And so I'm just going to dive in a little bit. Yes. First of all, my sources were a New York Times article by Sewell Chan, the book Stonewall, The Riots That Sparked the Gay Revolution by David Carter, Mm outhistory.org, and I listened to a couple different podcasts. There was one called... Making Gay History, I think is what it's called. And there was a short audio interview with Martha P. Johnson when she was still alive. And it was really good. It was also, I'm not going to mention the thing, but there was a woman, and I don't remember her name, who was working on a documentary. Mm. And there was a bunch of controversy because there was a man who took all this information, ran with it. 
and made his own documentary. And she did a ton of the work and didn't get any credit for it and didn't get the funding for it. So. I think I have their names. You probably do have their names. Because I screenshotted it. Because one of my, one of my trans friends was like. David France won't admit to stealing all the research and work for his Marsha P. Johnson documentary from a black trans woman. That's right. He made money off Rena Gossett's hard work, and he needs to acknowledge that and pay her what she's earned. That's right. Thank you very much. And that was that was a, a direct quote from my friend Schroeder. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> who's, who's on Twitter at CC underscore Schroeder. Glorious. Glorious. <laughs> yes. So I read a big, long article about that, but I was like... I don't want to put it out there, but also mm-hmm. it should be. I mean, it should be. And yeah. um, Raina Dockett does need to get gossip. Gossip. Thank you. Does need to get the credit that she deserves mm-hmm. because she is a black trans woman who lived a very similar story to Marsha P. Johnson's and was completely overlooked mm-hmm. and. And it's the it's a, the documentary on Netflix. Yeah, that we shouldn't watch or support. That's that's exactly right. I just punched the table. God dang it! Caught slipping again. <laughs> slipping and sliding all over the place. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Marsha P. Johnson. She was a trans woman. I'll just say this right up front. She's a trans woman. However, the term transgender was not widely used during her lifetime. Mm-hmm. She used female pronouns, but some really close friends also used male pronouns. She referred to herself as a transvestite, as a queen, as gay, as trans. So just for this, uh, for this story, I'm just going to use female pronouns Mm -hmm. because that's mostly what, what she used and what the people around her used. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Marsha P. Johnson was born on August 24th, 1945, in Elizabeth, New Jersey. She was the fifth of seven children uh, born into a blue-collar family. Her father, Malcolm, worked on the assembly line at a General Motors factory, while her mother, Alberta, was a housekeeper and just, you know, mother and wife, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She attended an Episcopal church as a child and practiced her Christian faith throughout her whole life. Um, and one of, like, that faith, and she, after doing a bunch of reading and listening to stories about her, mm-hmm. her faith all came from this idea of, like, love your neighbor and give back to the people around you and help out. And yeah, so that played a, that was a big part of her life, even though she had her own struggles. Yeah. So around the age of five, Marsha began to dress in girls clothing and presenting as more feminine, which resulted in a lot of harassment and a lot of torment from other children mm-hmm. and she did parents. not and yeah did not have an easy adolescence um she graduated from thomas edison high school in 1963 and just a few days later moved to new york city 
And all she took was a bag of clothes and $15. Damn. Damn. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm sorry. $15? Shit. That, it's so Probably scary. Probably got her a little farther than oh, it would today. Maybe a little bit, yeah. But not, not very far. After arriving in New York, Marcia made a living as a sex worker. And because of that, was often arrested. Mm-hmm. She said, I stopped counting after 100. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and once in the late 1970s, she was even shot. Oh. So, it was a bad time. Oh, my God. <laughs> she had, Yeah. <laughs> it was not good. She commented in several of these, you know, these interviews that I listened to that one, when she was working... She was like, I needed something to make me stand out. Mm -hmm. And if you were just a pretty boy in makeup with natural hair, like you would get, you'd get more attention. And so in order to make herself stand out, Mm -hmm. she had a very specific look. So she was very tall and slender and commanded the attention in any room. Okay. Uh, her outfits included red plastic high heels. Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> slippers. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes just slippers. Got and her stockings. all the time. Exactly. God bless. <laughs> stockings. She always wore shimmery robes and dresses. Um, oh. And oftentimes, she would have to take something that she that she found or that yeah. someone gave her and she'd be like all right a little glitter a little pizzazz mm-hmm. boom new dress oh hell yeah right very like boudoir exactly appeal exactly that's exactly what it was it's very like french and like jaja yeah as opposed Ooh. to like big and pageanty she was like I'm going to have my stockings and my fuzzy slippers and my shimmery robe. Ooh, hello. <clears throat> she also wore big, uh, big colorful costume jewelry, bright wigs, and she put lots of plastic flowers and even artificial fruit in her hair. Oh. Which which became very much her aesthetic. Like, yeah. Is big. Big. Big flowers. There's a story of she was walking around once with Christmas lights in her hair. <laughs> Did they that. light up? Yes. How? Look, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Battery pack, maybe? Solar powered? Probably not solar powered. Probably not solar powered. I mean, we have solar powered. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she had any LEDs. I think they were like legit Christmas lights. Jeez. All up in her hair. <laughs> so most of her most of her wardrobe was often assembled from scavenged or tossed out materials. Also, I'll take this opportunity. So the P Mm-hmm. In Marsha P. Johnson. So there's a story that I heard behind that. So she had been arrested mm-hmm. and was in in court, like, going to make her appearance in front of a judge to, to plead out or do whatever. And so this judge, who was very lenient, mm-hmm. he had a nickname, and I can't remember what it was, but it was, like, get him out of here, that kind. He was just very you're not hurting anybody exactly like live your life just try and stay out of trouble yeah so anyway he called her name you know marcia p johnson and he goes you know what's the p stand for and she goes pay it no mind (laughs) and he goes that's exactly what i'm gonna do (laughs) 
Uh, so, Marsha Payette No Mind Johnson. <clears throat> she played a key role in the events that followed a police raid at the Stonewall Inn. The Stonewall Inn, if you don't know, is a gay bar on Christopher Street in New York City. Mm-hmm. We've been there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's so, really cool. Yes. And this year is... What year is it? 50th. It is the 50th. Yeah. There it's was... The 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots, kids. There's Fucking a hooray. bunch of signs downtown because it is Pride Month oh, in uh-huh. Portland. And it's... 25 years since the first Portland. That's right. And then 50 <clears throat> years since Stonewall. And there's signs downtown saying uh, it. It's beautiful. I'm yeah. so, I love Pride Month. It makes <laughs> me so happy. Where was I? Police raid Stonewall. Stonewall. 50. Okay. In the wee hours of June 28th, 1969. <laughs> basic- 69. Six- <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Oh, jeez. The police rolled in to the Stonewall Inn and basically crashed the party and kicked everyone out of the bar and started harassing everybody, which they had are, they had been doing this for several weeks because they were trying to get the bar closed. Mm. And so they come in. They, it's a raid. They're kicking everybody out. And it's kind of... it's It's up in the air about... Who essentially, like, made the first move mm-hmm. and put their foot down and said, fucking, nope, we're done with this. Yeah. I think Sylvia Rivera, who was a friend of Marsha P. Johnson and also a gay activist, mm-hmm. is generally given the credit of throwing the first shot glass mm-hmm. against the wall and just said, nope, and started essentially sparked the revolution. Yeah. So, it got crazy. We we should do a whole episode on the Stonewall riots or just mm-hmm. go look up information about it because yeah. it's really it's very important to the LGBTQ plus community. Mhm. It's 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 a big deal. Yeah. Fucking sure is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Stonewall riots sparked a revolution and was a turning point in the fight for gay rights. So Stonewall inspired the first gay pride parades Mm -hmm. in 1970. And that same year, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera founded what they called STAR. And that's the Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries. Hello. So STAR was this group that they founded and they were advocates for trans youth and they provided shelter, clothing and food for those who had been disowned or thrown out of their homes, which is very important. I mean, it's a, it's a thing that still happens far, far too often today. Yeah. And they were one of the first groups and they were only in their early twenties at this point themselves. Mm -hmm. So, they were basically doing everything they could and they this place was set up in a building that this old New York mobster owned and then he ended up going to jail and so they were literally doing everything they could and giving everything they had which was not a lot yeah they Um, were struggling for resources themselves exactly but they were doing their best to 
to share what they had mm-hmm. and at least provide a shelter for these other kids, these other young adults yeah. who had nowhere else to go. Yeah. Like, extremely vulnerable. Not only can you not have a real job because you're a child, mm-hmm. like, nobody's going to employ you. Exactly. You're queer and potentially a person of color and mm-hmm. the odds are stacked against you. Exactly. And that's really nice that they it it was. There's a really lovely story about Marsha and this I, I don't remember I don't think it said the other person's name. But Marsha and this other person have four dollars between mm-hmm. them. And they go to the store and they buy a box of cookies. Mm-hmm. And proceeded to walk from the store down to I think a, the park or maybe the riverside. And on the way, they're just handing out cookies and mm-hmm. just giving everything they had. And when they got to their destination, they hadn't, they didn't have any cookies left. Oh. And I just, it broke my heart in, <laughs> in the best way and in the saddest way because she really did. She just gave everything that she had to help other people because she knew exactly what it was like to be in that position. And yeah. what she could give, she did. Oh. So Marsha was also an AIDS activist. And she attended protests and meetings of ACT UP, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the AIDS advocacy organization. She also joined, uh, for a little while, the Gay Liberation Front. And the Gay Liberation Front, their main goal was they wanted political action and protection for citizens based on their sexual orientation. Yeah. So that was the first group of, like, you you can't discriminate against people because they're because they're queer because they're LGBTQ yeah let's see here so like like I said life was never easy for Marsha mm-hmm. she had her first quote nervous breakdown which I I heard in part of an interview that somebody was the the person who was also in the interview his name was Randy Wicker who I'm going to talk about momentarily but he's a fellow activist he was a writer for oh what's it called i don't think i wrote it down the village voice he was a writer for the village voice and he knew marcia and so he's doing this interview because they lived together at the time he's doing this interview with her Mm -hmm. and he was like well, she she took some drug and she was like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, he was like, oh, she took LSD and she's in the background. She's like, I didn't take LSD. And he's like, well, you took something. She's like, I don't remember what it was. So basically oh, this quote nervous breakdown, she was trying to lasso this. This is her words. Like she was trying to pull the sun back to earth mm-hmm. before the apocalypse happened. And before anybody could go be like, you know, let's go inside. Let's, you know, and and helped her out and took care of her. The paddy wagon, quote unquote, came and took her to a psychiatric hospital. And those are never good. They're never good. However, she was rescued. Oh. (laughs) By, I think it was by the Gay Liberation Front. A bunch of people got in, got her out of her room, took her down an elevator and hauled her ass out. Jeez. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. That is great. So, though she was known for her warmth, kindness, and charm, and also her 
incredibly generous, giving nature. She was not opposed to getting into physical altercations and would get in people's faces if necessary. Let's see. In 1975, Andy Warhol took Polaroids of Marsha and included her in a portfolio called Ladies and Gentlemen. And it's a bunch of screen prints depicting drag queens and transgender revelers at a nightclub called the Gilded Grape. Oh. After that, she would see her face in art prints and on t-shirts. And there's another story about how she walked into this little, you know, this little store. Mm -hmm. And then they got kicked out because... The owner thought they were going to, like, shoplift and do nefarious things. Yeah, profiling. Uh, profile, exactly. <laughs> but she was like, hello, do you see that? That's me. That's my face on that t-shirt. So, it's a very strange position that she was in. Yeah. You know? Did she get any... I don't think she got any kind of... Compensation. Compensation or royalties or anything from that. No. Okay. Marsha also, because she was, she did call herself a drag queen, and mm-hmm. she did work at several bars kind of intermittently. She performed in a group called Hot Peaches. <laughs> 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 Which is great. And it was like a cabaret show. It was a drag cabaret. Mm-hmm. And there's several of the things that I listened to was like, she would go up and, you know, there was this one specific song. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this is how you're supposed to sing it. And she'd go out and the first time sung it just terribly, just off key. Yeah. And people. <laughs> like me at karaoke last exactly, night. <laughs> exactly. People loved it. But the guy who wrote it, the manager or whatever, was like, here's how we actually do it. And then she sang it spot on and it was beautiful. And yeah. that night she sang it beautiful and perfect and people loved it. But the very next night, she went back to sing it completely off key <laughs> and terribly because people thought it was just a riot. And she was like, they like it when I do it that way. Yeah. So from then on, it was just this. She knows what the people want. Exactly. And you got to give them what they want. You got to give it to them. <laughs> All right. So in 1980. Marsha was invited to ride in the lead car of New York's annual Gay Pride Parade. This was the first time she'd, she had been to all of the other Pride Parades. Yeah. However, this was the first time she decided to ride in a car as opposed to walking. Because she was like, I'm going to continue to walk. Mm-hmm. Because people don't have rights. Yeah. And because our black trans sisters mm-hmm. are still, you know, the victims of sexual violence. Yeah. Still and to this day. It's still to this day. And she is like, and because of that, I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk out in front of everybody mm-hmm. and show them this is what I stand for. Yeah. So shortly after that Pride Parade, she began living at the home of Randy Wicker. Mm-hmm. Who, circling back. Circling back. Like I said, he's a fellow activist. He's a writer for The Village Voice. And him and his partner lived in this pretty nice little apartment. Yeah. And at first, she was invited to live there because... Okay. 
So, it's Randy and his husband, David. Mm -hmm. And they also have a younger man just staying with them because mm-hmm. he didn't have any place to go. Yeah. And he was based, this younger man who I don't remember his name was basically like, it's really cold out. Marsha doesn't have a place to stay. Can she come home with me and just sleep on the floor? Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, of course it's 10 degrees out. And that just kind of turned into an eight-year-long living situation. And David, uh, Randy's husband, was fighting, obviously, a losing battle with AIDS. Yeah. Because it's the 80s. Yeah. Fucking Reagan. Yeah. Don't Um, get me started on that. Don't get me started on that guy. Don't do it. (laughs) So anyway, so Marsha moved in with Randy and David Mm -hmm. and became David's caretaker. It's a very, very hard job. Yeah. But is Yeah. Somebody's dying and you Yes. It. Yeah, exactly. Took care of their home, took care of him, took care of all of his needs. Mm-hmm. And so I had a thought and then I lost it. Hold on. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So she's living she's living with with David and Randy. Taking care of David, which is a great reflection of, again, her generosity and just trying to do good and, like, give back to her community and these people who have given her a roof over her head and are taking care of her. So it's really heartwarming that there's such community that they could support one another Support one another and really take care of each other. Yeah. So, in an interview on June 26th, 1992, Marcia said that she had been HIV positive for two years. Mm-hmm. So, she was she was living with this disease herself. Yeah. This is a quote. She said, They call me a legend in my own time, but there were so many queens gone that I'm one of the few queens left from the 70s and 80s. So, June 26th, 1992... Um, the day that this interview happened, which is actually the interview that I listened to. Well, oh. it was one of the interviews that I listened to. Okay. She was seen a couple days later, mm-hmm. just in passing. But that was then that was the last time anyone ever saw her. Oh. On July 6th, 1992, her body was pulled from the Hudson River. Her death at age 46 was quickly ruled a suicide. Despite the protests of her friends. Yeah. So we don't really know what happened. Mm -hmm. There were some accounts from other people that she knew that I listened to where because she was fighting mental Mm -hmm. health issues, she would like throw things into the river as like an offering to Neptune and Neptune kind of equated to her father. Mm -hmm. So they were like, who knows if she was looking into the water and thought she saw her father and leaned too far over. Yeah. Or if she was attacked. Yeah. Or nobody really knows what it was, but they were like, she wouldn't have committed suicide. But if it was an accident or if it was violence, we don't know. Yeah. So this is a quote. Marsha P. Johnson could be perceived as the most marginalized of people. Black, queer, gender nonconforming, and poor. You might exact a person in such a position to be fragile, brutalized, and beat down. 
Instead, Marcia had this joie de vivre, a capacity mm-hmm. to find joy in a world of suffering. She's channeled it into political action and did it with a kind of fierceness, grace, and whimsy, and with a loopy, absurdist reaction to it all. And that was that was a quote from Susan Stryker, who's an associate professor of gender and women's studies at the University of Arizona. So, all of that being said, Marcia lived too short of a life. Yeah. But every single thing she had, she gave back to her community. And not even necessarily just her community, but everyone around her who who needed help. Was in proximity to her. Exactly. And so, I just, since having done this research, New York City... Mm-hmm. is putting up a bronze statue yes. of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, which is going to be a first time that something like that's ever happened. Yeah. They'll be immortalized for being the spark that ignited the the gay, right? gay revolution. That was so good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was really nice. Uh, I didn't didn't say much during that beautiful because i just I was listening oh was <laughs> well good. there's not you know there's she she really was quite a character mm-hmm. and people everywhere she went people knew who she was mm-hmm. they were all mm-hmm. like marcia 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 <laughs> i did it <laughs> exactly thank you thank you it's beautiful <laughs> I was like, I gotta, we started and I was like, oh, I gotta sneak that in somewhere. But then I just was listening the whole time. Perfect. That's all, that's all we're looking for. All right. That's, that's all I got. That's all you got. That's all I got. Boom. 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 You want to do the social medias? Follow us on our Twitter at BroadScottMoxie and on our Instagram and Facebook at ThatBroadScottMoxie. That's right. And uh, wherever you're listening, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. We we gotta we gotta get all those subscribers. You know, get yep. those numbers, girl. Get those comments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, if you have any stories you want to share with us, or suggestions, broads with Moxie that we should cover, or questions, or concerns, or Oh, any any of those things. Think, yeah. Email us at thatbroadsgotmoxie at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's all we got. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. All right. Bye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.